Tenekoto, Nomai, Hairamai. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Walk in the Shadowlands podcast. Let me be your guide as we take a walk into the realms of the unexplained, of the paranormal, of things that go bump in the night and haunt your dreams. I'm Marianne. Thanks so much for joining me today, tonight, whatever time it is, wherever you're living in this beautiful world of ours. Sit back, relax, let me be your guide as we walk into the Shadowlands together and see what awaits us there. Welcome everyone. Thank you so much for joining us this episode, which I should say is the last episode in this current season and I'll be taking a four week break between seasons. But of course, it's only a break on the airwaves. I'll still be very busy lining up guests and topics for our next season. So be sure to like and follow Walk in the Shadowlands on Instagram, TikTok or from the podcast website www.walkintheshadowlands.com for hints on our upcoming next season. At least the first two or three episodes of that season. If you are on Twitter, then look for me under Shadowlands 10 or check out our Facebook page, Walking the Shadowlands. In the meantime, have you ever driven past an old house and looked at it, wondering, hmm, if it is, could, could that possibly be haunted? Sometimes simply because of how it looks. With houses, most of us say, well, maybe it might be, perhaps it isn't. But if we were to look at some old palatial mansion, then we're more likely to consider that it might be actively haunted. But why would that be? Why would we consider it more likely that a castle or an old decaying mansion is haunted? Is that because of the possible history of such a place? All of the lives that were lived and possibly died in such a place? The stories hidden behind those imposing walls? Or is it that we as humans like to consider those who could afford to live in such wealth were not immune to the normal human trials and tribulations any family might face? Human nature can be a very funny thing. Sometimes haunted mansions can be found in the most surprising of places, such as in the case of the genuine hauntings of the Greystone Manor, the Doheny Estate. Greystone Manor is situated in a very rich, very rich area of Beverly Hills, surrounded by palatial mansions owned by people who are fabulously wealthy and who live lifestyles that most of us can only look at and perhaps perhaps dream about. But honestly, who knows what goes on behind those gated walls and carefully manicured lawns and gardens? Who knows what pain and suffering or nefarious dealings are made in such places? Who knows what dark underbelly hides behind those facades? And certainly the Greystone Manor 
has seen its share of tragedy and pain, of nefarious dealings in political circles, greed and avarice, and ill-treatment resulting in the death of several female servants. In this episode, we're going to take a look behind the walls of this exclusive manor and learn some of the history that has caused this place to become a genuinely and actively haunted place. But the question is, are you willing to walk with me into this part of the Shadowlands and see what we'll find? Let's begin. My guest today knows of the Hornens of Greystone Manor from very intimate knowledge, having worked in and around the Doheny estate for over 20 years. He has had the experience of seeing and having his own experiences there and have been able to hear countless experiences visitors to the mansion and other staff working with the mansion have had. Having taken retirement from a job and a place he loved due to the effects of the COVID outbreak, Cleet decided to take a retirement package that was offered to him and to collate all the experiences he had gathered over his time of working at the mansion into a book. This book has 22 years of research behind it, with a collection of 237 experiences from 86 people who had encounters, with so many more he was unable to add, simply because the book would have been over 750 pages long. Their eyewitness statements detail many, many supernatural activities in the mansion, so if anyone could be called an expert on the history and hauntings of this estate, then Cleet definitely is the man. My guest, Cleet Keith. start with a little bit about you, uh, a little bit about your background and where you came from and why you decided to write this book. Okay, so my background is I'm, I'm, I'm from a, a, an entertainment family. My dad was an actor, my mom was an actress. My sister acted as married to a writer. My brother's a producer and an editor. So 
And my grandfather was a director in, in when Hollywood, like in the 40s, he was a, a well-known director. And so it's always been part of, we've been part of the business. And uh, I was acting when I was 17. I was in the theater, uh-huh. did that for 17 straight years. <clears throat> but at the same time, I needed to get some work. And uh, a friend of mine turned me on to working with him at events for the city of Beverly Hills. So uh, I got a job there just to work on events. And part of that job was putting on events up at Greystone. And uh, that led me, I, I did a, actually did a movie called uh, Cabin Boy, which is one of the worst films ever made. Please don't look at it. And <laughs> literally one of the worst films ever made. And they had a day where I said, where are you guys shooting? And they said, we're going to be up at Greystone. I go, what is that? They said, it's a mansion in Beverly Hills. I went, oh, okay. Little did I know, like five years later, I would be working. That would be my, my home, my location to work. So I started working at Greystone and uh, I'd never really thought about the paranormal at all. I had uh, several things happened. Uh, I had like three incidences that took place in my life when I was younger with my parents. They ended up going up north in California. To, uh, my, my great uncle, his name was Wes, uh, had cancer and he was with his wife, Margie, and they lived right on the ocean, right on, on California, in California. And, uh, he was really ill and he slipped out of bed without her knowing and was sat out on the porch looking at the ocean at night and took a rifle and shot himself in the head because mm-hmm. he couldn't take it anymore. My parents had to go up there and clean up the house. Margie ended up having a stroke. This is all wonderful, happy news for everybody, uh, had a stroke and then, so they had to get the house and sell it and get the money to take care of her. And while my dad and mom were up there cleaning up in the garage, they heard three knocks on the front door. My dad said, hang on, I'll go get it. So he went, he got, came back and said, you heard that, right? She said, yeah, there's nobody there. Because maybe it's the kids playing around the neighborhood or something. They start working again, three more knocks. Then my dad went out there and looked and went back to mom and said, we're out of here. Let's go. He couldn't, he... My mom kind of had the gift. She could kind of feel things. He wasn't into it. He just said, we're out of here. So he left. And um, uh, I was with a woman who was, uh, did a play with me and went over to her house, oddly enough, in Beverly Hills. She was into the paranormal. I was not. Uh, and we're, I was at her place and she starts telling me, we had, she had a beautiful uh, t- uh, a coffee table with candles and the, and the glass housings on the candles. And she starts telling me that she saw, she wakes up and she sees a woman at the end of her bed, all dressed in white. I'm like, come on, man, seriously, you can, this really, she goes, yeah, I'm telling you, I go, aren't you, didn't you just soil yourself? I mean, it, I would be so frightened. She goes, no, she was a friendly spirit. I went, uh, okay. In this apartment. Yeah. Okay. And then she tells me that her piano is played by itself. And then she pulls out a book called Seth Speaks. I don't know if you've ever seen. Do you know that book? Okay. I've heard of it. Yeah. Okay. So the, the first, like the first uh, couple rounds of that book when it was printed had a photo of this woman, I believe, when she was channeling. She was channeling Seth. This, this, uh, right. Right. And the face of this woman looks so bizarre. She looks so strange. I looked at her. I said, it looks like she ate some bad shrimp. And she's like, 
don't make fun of the spirits. I said, I'm not. I'm just saying, look at the face. What, what the, happened to her? And you're telling me about your piano play. I did all these jokes. And suddenly, the glass housing on one of these candles shattered. And I'm not talking about just cracked. It exploded. And that glass mm-hmm. is made to withstand a little candle in there. It just, I grabbed my guitar and I went later. I ran out of that place. It horrified me. And the last little thing I'll tell you really quickly is uh, my mom was an actress and she, uh, before she passed, she was at the Motion Picture and Television Fund home in Woodland Hills out here in LA. And that's where if you've done films, you have enough credits and stuff like that, you can get into yeah. one of these homes, right? We are lucky. I've heard about that. Yeah. So we are lucky enough to get her in the home. And little did I know when she moved into one of the rooms, she had a, a, a roommate um, and that roommate I'll call her Betty. Uh, her son is a very famous actor, still is. Um, I didn't know that. I just I said, Mom, how, how's Betty today? Oh, she's very quiet, Miss Nat. She didn't talk much. And then I showed up one day, and the nurses were running around. And I said, what's going on? She said, oh, Betty passed. I went, oh, my. Did you call this actor to come let him know? She goes, yeah, he's on his way. I said, okay. Um, and then the nurse at the front desk said, she just had this look. Marianne, that was like, she was like freaked out. So I went over to her. I said, are you okay? She goes, the weirdest thing's going on. I said, what is it? What's going on? She said, I keep getting a phone call to our desk here in the center from Marianne's bedside. I said, I mean, it's not Marianne. I'm sorry. Betty's, you're still alive. I I take it. (laughs) Betty's bedside. And I said, you're kidding. She goes, no, no. The, we, I had a telephone guy come up here. He traced it. The phones are fine. But there's a, a call keeps coming in from her bed, the phone by her bed. And I said, well, you know what that is, right? She goes, no, no, I don't, I don't want to. I don't, I, oh, it's, it's Betty. She's still here. She goes, no, no, don't, don't, don't. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. I said, okay, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I walked into the room and I said, Betty, honey, you've passed. It's, it's, you're out of the body now. So you don't have to be here anymore. Honey. If you look in the corner of the room, look for a light, you, you can go, you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And I walked out of the room, came back and the rest of the day I was there with my mom. The ladies came up and said, Hey, no more calls from, she didn't know I did that. So yeah. I said, uh, Oh really? Okay, cool. So I ended up telling this famous actor, uh, one day I saw him at a play and, uh, told him that story and he was blown away by it. It's pretty amazing. That's a long story. Oh. I'm sorry to go through all those. No, no, that's great. And I actually remember reading that in your book as well. Oh, okay. Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. And in, in the beginning of your book right. and it really struck me and that was a very uh, smart thinking on, on your part, Cleet. Mm. So obviously you went into this position with a little bit of background and a little bit of knowing, uh, even if you weren't like um, fully aware of of spiritual things at that time, you did have a little bit of basis of knowing. So when you were working at Greystone, now it's Greystone isn't the Greystone Mansion. Is actual name is Doe. The Doheny Estate, is that correct? Yeah, it, it's Doheny. Yeah, it's the Greystone Mansion, the Doheny Estate, because it was the, that right. was the family that, that built it, were the Dohenies. Yeah. 
Right. Mm -hmm. So maybe before we go into the paranormal stuff, actually, maybe you could give us a bit of the history of the property. Okay. So um, I'll tell you about the family a little bit that leads into the property. And uh, Edward Lawrence Doheny was a a man who came from uh, Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. And he came out to L.A. in the late 1800s, early 1900s because he wanted to find gold in L.A. Came out here, didn't find gold, ended up um, finding out that there was, he saw a guy with a cart pulling this cart and had all these black blobs on the cart. And he went up to the guy and said, what do you have there? And the man said, it's Brea, which was like tar um, that uh, was seeping out of the ground and would harden once it got into the air after a while. And they would take that, put it in the cart, wheel it down to the train stations and stuff and sell it for fuel. And he said, you you, you can make money of that. And he said, yeah. He goes, oh, okay. So Edward and his friend at that time, uh, who was out here, Charles Canfield, they went and they purchased a teeny little, they they got, I think it was $400 they they managed to scrub up. This is back in early uh, 1900s, relatively a lot of money. money. Yeah. So they got the money. They bought this little plot of land near Wilshire and Alvarado, near downtown LA. And they got this land and they started digging. This is, this is a crazy story. They started digging with picks and shovels and they went down uh, 155 feet. That's 15 stories mm-hmm. digging by hand and they did not hit oil. And so they went out, imagine this, they went out and they found a eucalyptus tree, the straightest eucalyptus tree they could find. And they found this eucalyptus tree and they shaved it. And at the very end, they, they, they carved into what it looked like a, a drill bit. So right. at the end of this tree, you brought it back, lowered it into the hole. And I'm guessing, I'm guessing, I don't know how they did it, with some kind of ropes and ties and maybe uh, donkeys or mules turned it and kept turning it. And I, I don't know how they did this, but they dug down 460 feet. That's 46 stories down. How could they do that? I don't know. (laughs) And they hit oil. And they started bringing up seven barrels a day. And then then it was 40 barrels a day. And then they started bringing up a lot of oil. He made money. Charles Canfield made money. Then with that money, Doheny went down to Mexico. And he found areas where he saw oil seeping in. And so he basically, honestly, fleeced the Mexicans of their land, bought, bought their land, but for nothing, right. and started right. digging and bringing in drills and all this <laughs> stuff. And he hit a 600-foot geyser, still one of the largest today, capped it in two weeks, and then became a billionaire when a penny meant something. This is back in the, yeah. in, in the early 1900s. Then it became the Rockefellers and the Doheny's. He came back into L.A. and he bought 429 acres. He bought a bunch of land. He bought a house near a USC in downtown, but he bought 429 acres north, way north of that, which turned out to be Beverly Hills. And he gave his son, Ned, a 12.58 parcel of land for him to build a home for he and his wife, Lucy, their daughter, Lucy, and their four boys. And that's how it began with, with that land. And, and they started building the home in 1927. 
Wow, that's a fascinating story. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Paul. Okay, so who um how big is how big is the mansion? How big is it? So the mansion is uh, once they they it's it's another crazy story because once they had the land, they started building the mansion in 1927, September 5th, uh, no, February 15th, 1927. They start building the land the, the the mansion on that land by September of the of 28, the next year, like a year they were able to move into that mansion. The mansion is 46,000 square feet, 46,000 square feet, 55 rooms, 67 altogether, meaning walk-in closets and stuff like that, but 55 rooms. Wow. And um, it's the, the man who built it was Gordon Kaufman. And Gordon Kaufman was a well-known architect at that time in LA. And he built... The, the LA Times building, which is still standing downtown. And also he was one of the, the architects on the Hoover Dam, which is amazing, oh, right? Wow. So he was a guy who used a lot of concrete and cement. Greystone is poured concrete with rebar, and oh. which is unusual, especially now. Mm. It's like a fortress. So mm. you've got all that concrete and rebar. And along with that, it's faced with Indiana limestone. And as you know, Marianne, look, I can see that look yes. already. As you know, yes. limestone is a conductor of energy, right? Mm. And Stephen King wrote The Shining at the Stanley Hotel in Colorado, which is built on limestone. Limestone. It, right. Correct. And it's very, very uh, connected to, to activity, spirit activity. So this place, not to say that there was activity then, but when you've fronted it with uh, limestone, it was Welsh slate on top. You've set up like a little uh, container, not a little container, mm. a huge container that will keep, I believe, keep energy within. Mm. So uh, it has a, uh, uh, a recreation wing. I don't know if you ever saw There Will Be Blood, uh, that movie. Mm. Um, at the end of that film is inside Greystone. It's, it's the bowling alley within the rec wing at Greystone. Oh. Yeah. There's also a theater up above the bowling alley. There's a boys wing. There's the family uh, living quarters. There are the servants wing. And then downstairs, the guest quarters, or in essence, where there's a card room and a living room, a dining room, breakfast room, the, the pantry and the kitchen, and what we now call the murder room downstairs. So, uh, it is a huge, huge home that uh, yeah. is surrounded by limestone. Massive. So what's the home used for these days? Obviously, the family no longer owns it. Does the city of Los Angeles own it? Yeah, it's the city of Beverly Hills who has it. Oh, city of Beverly so, Hills. So okay. what happened was, um, miss, after there was a, there, we'll talk about the, the paranormal aspects to all this, but there was a murder-suicide within the home. After right. that... Mrs. Doheny still lived there until 1955. She married her financial advisor, Lee Batson. They stayed until 55. They sold the house to Henry Crown, who was part of the builder of the Empire State Building. He had all his holdings in Chicago. So uh, he, they said they thought he might move into Greystone. I think his wife found out and said, hell no, and ended up yeah. uh, staying in Chicago. And so he rented the building out to uh to film 
companies. So that was in 55 to 65, he was renting, renting out to film companies. And then uh, eventually the American Film Institute came in and they had uh, the home as their campus. Uh, I think it was from 69 to, to 82, 69 to 82. And it, then it became uh, a historic park uh, within, I think I was actually like in 75, whatever, became like a historic park or something. So um, that, that's, that was the chain of command as far as who lived in the home and, and who eventually owned it. Now the city of Beverly Hills owns it. Right. And so I presume it's rented out for events and yes, it's exactly. used for social. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so we've done uh, a car show, many car shows up there. We did design shows which brought on a lot of energy, and we'll discuss that later. But design shows, meaning a, a, a magazine, uh, a design magazine would come on board and say, okay, we would like to, to be um, the ones that host this. So we mm -hmm. will get our designers to buy a room and buy, they would in essence come in, they would pay the city of Beverly Hills, I don't know what it was, honey, but let's say $400, $500, and that would allow right. them to have the living room. Then they would come in and design the living room. So, and then we would sell tickets and we'd have tons of people coming through the house. So we do those types of things along with tours. There would be tours. Um, and that was the, the weddings, uh, wedding photo shoots and stuff like that, events like that. Right, yep. right. So that, that pays for upkeep and- Correct. Uh, because I imagine there's a huge amount of staff that work there. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, there, it's and, and and at one point they had me near the end before I ret I retired December fourth, twenty twenty. One of, <clears throat> excuse me. One of the things that they had me do was to work for on the weddings and the wedding photo shoots and everything, right. which was not my forte. Let's be honest. Yeah, my forte yeah. are ghosts. So, <laughs> right. So I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I'm writing a book about ghosts. And my boss at that time says, do not talk about spirits, ghosts, entities. I don't want to hear. It. We're trying to sell this place as a place for them to come and have their, their best day of their lives. Please don't do this to me. I said, I won't, I won't. But I would still, I would still get people the, the, the bride and groom would come up. This is such a beautiful place. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Let me take you through the formal garden. And then they look at me and they go, is this place haunted? Now, I've been told not to talk about it. I know the truth, but yeah. should I tell them the truth or should I just say, oh, no, have your, your wedding here and you may be attacked or something. That wouldn't happen. <laughs> that wouldn't happen. I'm sorry. But the point was that um, there were there was a couple that came to me and said we're you know we're interested in doing our wedding. I said great great, and is it haunted? And I said well, um, it, it, what do you mean by haunted? <laughs> you know I don't know what to say. So I said yeah yeah um, like like and, and are there ghosts here? I said well do you I, do you want the truth? I can tell you the truth, or we can just kind of keep moving. No, we want the truth. I said uh, it is this place. What I say is this place has been known to be active. And that couple said, awesome, that's why you want to get married here because we know we heard the ghosts. Very rare, I went, oh, okay, well then if you want to know, then I would tell them, oh my God, this will be the place for us. Other people, I had a couple that I talked to and they asked me, I said, well, 
there are rumors and things. Rumors like what? I said, well, there, there. Uh, to be honest with you, and to be totally upfront, there was a murder suicide in the home. When was that? 1929. Oh, that was a long time ago. So they felt because it was a long time ago, it wouldn't be active. I just went along with it, right? You know that, Mary. I just went along with it and said, okay, good, cool. Let's keep going. So I had to walk a fine line with all the people I met because the city did not want to talk about the ghosts. Don't want to hear it, right? Yeah. So we we had shows call us, ghost hunters, and all these guys call us. And I would usually end up getting the call, and I'd say, the city does not allow people to come in and just shoot overnight, number one, because you have people live next door, Mm. gazillionaires, they don't want any noise. But number two is that um, it's just not, they don't want to, they don't want to promote uh, people staying in the house. And it's a, it's a uh, um, haunted home. That's not what we're trying to promote. Mm. Here. We're trying to make some money, not scare people away. So that's what was mm-hmm. going on. That must've been quite frustrating for you actually. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it really was. Cause I know the truth and I know what's going on. Yeah. And so I could tell them the truth and if I could trust them that they, they would be okay with it, I would do it. But mm. other times I had to be, I, I danced around it. I could, you could, you could tell yeah. after a while you could tell, you know, after 10, 20 minutes, you could tell people's attitudes and whether they could handle yeah. it or not. So that's what yeah, I yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So how, so how many years did you work there altogether? Then? So I was there 22 years. Um, that's a long time. Yeah, it was a long time. And, and, um, but, you know, some of the best years of my life there, the, the mansion itself, the location is really beautiful. It's really unusual, eclectic. There are no mansions like it around in Beverly Hills. A lot of mansions in Beverly Hills, but nothing like mm-hmm. this. And um, I was very privileged to work there. And then to be able, I was also a ranger. So I worked events, but then... Uh, I also worked with the ranger program, the the park ranger program. So there were times where if they they had shooting a movie there, they would say, we need your help. I said, okay, I put on a uniform and I would be there overseeing, helping them oversee the the, the shoots and all that stuff. So I I had several different hats that I wore and and, Mm -hmm. and enjoyed them all because it was, you're, you're doing events, but you're also at a place that is unbelievably haunted and, Still to this day, uh, we get new recruits, new rangers that come in, and you have to let them know. I'm just going to tell you up front, ahead of time, there will be a day that you have to close up by yourself, and this place is massively haunted. And they're like, you're joking, right? No, I'm not. So if you want the job, that's going to be part of your job. So... (laughs) So can you explain for the listeners what a ranger actually is? Yeah, so a park ranger basically is someone who um, oversees, we have many parks in Beverly Hills, even though it's a small little place. We have Coldwater Park, La Cienega Park, uh, Greystone Park, um, uh, Roxbury Park. It goes on and on through the city. Um, they have, you, have, you can't have police overseeing those parks if people are... Right doing something they shouldn't be there. It could be anything from smoking to dog off leash to uh, having an event on their own that they shouldn't be. Uh, They need permits, uh, exercising. You have to have permits to do all that stuff there. So they need quite a few rangers to cover that whole city's uh, park programs. And then when we do events, that adds to their 
their list of things that they have to oversee. If it's the, like we said, the design show or the car show or an art show or any of those things, you need a ranger separate. Right, yeah. of course. So they're like security yeah, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. After you first started working at Greystone, when did you first become aware of paranormal activity? Yeah, well, um, when I started working up there, uh, I was told that they were shooting a Sprite commercial up there. And I said, oh, cool. I want to see how they shoot up there. And well, cause I'd, I'd done films and things before, but I was curious to how they would handle the mansion because it's such a huge location. And so I went up to the West courtyard to walk up to the front, uh, front door. And as I did, I see this guy running out of the house, swearing like F this place, F this, F this running out. I'm going like, Whoa. And he, bolted out of that front door and out through the courtyard and I, and then never saw him again. And so I went to a friend of mine who just started, he started when I did, his name is Ranger Steve Clark, who was, who was retired and now is no longer working for the city, but one of my best friends and he didn't know he was brand new to the program. So he didn't know really how to oversee a shoot, a film shoot. So these people were throwing stuff on the marble floors, uh, drilling into the wood, painting walls they shouldn't be. And he's like, I trying to stop people and they're going, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. And they just did what they wanted to do. And I think that is what stoked the fire of uh, activity for that set because one of the guys went upstairs and was wrapping up cable and throwing it into a, a crate. And one of the crates, moved from one side of the room to the other by itself. And that, front of his yes, and that's when he ran out and said, F this place, F this place, I can't, what the hell is going on? And he ran. And I went up to Steve and said, what was that about? And Steve checked into it, came back and said, I don't think they're happy with how they're dealing with this place. Because Stephen had an, uh, his first incident when he became a ranger was close up the mansion at night, put the, set the alarm, get it all set, and close the gates and walk away. So he closed up the mansion, put on the alarm, closed the front door, locked it, started out to the gate and looked back and one of the, the windows was up in the servant's wing. And he went, wow, I thought I, okay. Went back to the door, opened it up, turned off the alarm, went in, shut that window. And that window you pull shut, you crank it shut, and then you crank it, uh, you lock it. So he did oh, that. Wow. So it's quite involved. Yeah. So it's not just like a pulling a window shut. Exactly. Yeah. So he did that and said, I hope I didn't miss anything else. He was brand new. Went through the whole house, went out the front to the front door, put on the alarm, locked the front door, walked out, and that window was open again. And he just went, wait a minute. Something's, <laughs> something's, I'm not going back in there. And, and he didn't go back in there. It had to wait till the next day, then go inside and close it and, at that time, we had a boss who was very particular about how you dealt with the mansion. Nobody was to go inside unless you had to, unless you had business. So nobody from the outside, right. no, just checking it out and see what it's like. You didn't go inside there, and that alarm was set, and uh, you did not leave the mansion unarmed. You had to arm mm-hmm. it every night. Well, he didn't arm it that night. He had to go explain. I don't know what that was, and his boss was. I, I believe his boss, uh, his name was Bill, and he was just like, well, just lock it up tonight, make sure it's locked. Uh, little did Bill know that through his time there as the, the manager there, things happened so crazy. That was just with Steve with a bunch of different people, but Steve did have the gift, still has the gift, mm. I'm sure. 
but he could feel mm-hmm. things. And so they kept trying to connect with him and it scared him of course. horribly. Of course. Yeah. Of course. If, and Spirit are very aware of people who, who are meeting mistake or who are aware of spirit in other ways. It's like you're a light in the darkness and they automatically try and connect with you. That's exactly right. Because, because I was told that when you have that gift, that there's an aura. And they like just like you Great. said, they can see that aura go, ooh, I can connect with him. I can't connect with him, but I can connect mm. with him. And Steve was the guy. They connected yeah. with Steve. And he obviously scared him. Yes, it does. Some people can't can't deal with it. And and it is scary because it's unknown. It's unknown. Um so Mariana, I could have I have a question for you. Yeah, please. Um have you you, uh, have you got to the basement chapters yet? Yeah. Okay, so that's Steve. That's Steve. Ah, oh, right. Okay, so he's the one right. that he's the poor guy that had to go down he to that. the growl. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that that's that's a frame of reference for you. You'll know that he is the guy that throughout the book had things happen to him that weren't really simple, fun things. They were like scary, weird, mm-hmm. bizarre mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. anyway, I just want to know if you know. I remember um, reading in your book about how he went down to the basement and he was doing something and he heard this growl. And then he remembered, oh, you've got to check things out. Some some advice he was given. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the exact wording. Uh-huh. And, and so he thought, well, maybe it's wind, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. And so he verbally spoke and said, look, if there's anybody there who made that sound, can you do it again? And he heard the growl again and... And it was pretty petrified. He, 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 what, Marian, when I brought him back there to, I said, would you please come back? He lived in, uh, he lives now in Santa Fe, but he was in town. I said, please come with me and let's just go through the house and it'll help you remember things that happened. I said, I remember almost everything that's happened to you because I was so fascinated. So I said, yeah. if you forget something, I'll let you know, but let's just walk through the house. And we did our walk. When we got down to that basement, the look, because it brought back those, those memories, it brought back the, yes. those, the, the feelings that he had that night. And in his face, the fear that he had that during the day with me, because mm. I, I, I know him so well, I've known him for 20 years, I can see yeah. in his face how horrified he still is about that, that night. And mm. uh, he, he doesn't really talk about it too much. He doesn't want to talk about it too much. So, but you, you're, you're correct. He was, he was the one down there with the growl. Pretty terrifying. Pretty terrifying yeah. to hear something like that. Mm-hmm. I have a paranormal investigation group that I run, mm. although New Zealand's a very small country, so we don't have a lot of places to investigate. <laughs> but there have been times when I have uh, or a team members caught growls on the recorder, and they are pretty scary oh, yeah, to hear. Man. So to hear it audibly, a disembodied voice like that, that's a pretty freaky thing, especially when you're in a big building by yourself and and that goes into something else which I'll I'll bring up a little bit later Uh one of the questions that I had is that and it's going back to history there was not only the murder suicide there have been a number of deaths on that property Mm -hmm. correct yes more than a handful yeah so so there was the there was a murder suicide with uh who the 
he was the husband to Lucy that moved in. His name, he is known as Ned. He was Edward Jr., Edward Lawrence Doheny, who made all the money in oil. This was his son, Ned. So Ned was in in the home on the night of February 16th, 1929. His male secretary, Hugh, showed up. And this all goes back to, excuse me, the Teapot Dome scandal, which... I don't know if you want me to get into it. I can definitely do it. It's it's a, about oil, obviously. Right. And um, there was a big trial that was coming to fruition uh, in the in the started actually right around the '30s, and um, it it implicated uh, Edward, the father, who had sent Ned and Hugh to New York to deliver a satchel of money to a man named Albert Fall, who was the Secretary of the Interior. Albert Fall took it because he allowed Edward, who was a friend from years before, to have access to what was called Elk Hills and Buena Vista Naval Reserve, oil reserves. There was no bidding. Teapot Dome was another oil reserve, which a a man named Harry Sinclair, he, he was a buddy of Albert Falls. He let him go there. So they made Albert, I mean, um, Edward made approximately, I think, $100 million off that deal, right, wow. for having access to that oil, which was a naval reserve oil place. So he made a lot of money. It was found out because he sent, Edward sent his son, son Ned and Hugh, to deliver this 100000 to Albert. He took it. Suddenly, Albert had a lavish lifestyle. Not real smart. It was found mm-hmm. out. He went to trial. He went to prison for it. Now they wanted to go after Edward L. Doheny, but they thought, let's go through the son and the secretary who delivered the money. We'll start there. Then it became a thing where the the pressure that took place between Ned and Hugh, they felt the family, they say, felt Hugh couldn't withstand a trial, that he may snap, and they didn't want the beans spilled. So right. they were trying to convince him to go into what was called a sanatorium for what they said was cocaine for his teeth. Back then they used cocaine to dull pain in your teeth and right. that he got hooked mm-hmm. on it. And so let's put, he's in a sanatorium, so we can't have him come to the trial. Well, uh, Hughes' feeling was, they may not let me out. I know too much. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. he went and confronted his best friend, Ned, about that specific situation and they were drinking there was an argument they think that hugh brought in a gun or did ned have a gun we don't know this whole night we know it took place but we don't know the specifics to it because it's a billionaire family and once all this took place it was out of the papers and out of the radio within 24 hours that's mm-hmm, money. Mm-hmm. Money talks. Exactly. Mm-hmm. We're not going to talk mm-hmm. about it. It's done. And so uh, Ned was shot in the temple in the head, and so was Hugh. So one was a suicide. One was the mm-hmm. murder. And they're both friends. So if the gun went off and shot him, or he went and said, shut up, they've been drinking, and they shot him, and he went, oh, my God, what have I done, and then killed himself? Or did they say, did Lucy step in after that and say, look what you've done now to Hugh, if Hugh shot Ned first. Mm. I happen to think that Ned shot Hugh and then killed mm. himself. But uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I have uh, a feeling about the situation. Oh, okay. Uh, and I think it's more 
to it than simply the scandal, that scandal. Mm -hmm. And you, you said you felt that Ned shot Hugh. Yeah. I agree with you because if if Hugh had gone to trial, there would have been more come out than merely that scandal. And what do you mean by more come out? I think they were lovers. I do too. So that mm. that's part of that pressure. And it could have mm. been, like you say, it could have been Hugh saying, if you put me away, if mm. you don't support me, I will tell everybody about our affair. Mm. And that means Lucy. There you, okay, then maybe I've we're right guess, on that, yeah. right? So, oh, yeah. So, yeah, that's always a sign for me. Okay. Well, the, the, we, then we know that there was more to it than just like, we can't go through this trial, bam, bam. Yeah, yeah. It, it was really involved. And, yes. um, and, and, and the crazy thing about it is, Marianne, that once there was the murder-suicide, they set out to, to still take Edward to court over over the the teapot dome and the elk hills and everything so they right. they did they took him to court still but the jury felt so bad that he had lost his only son that they acquitted him so the man that gave the money a hundred thousand dollars which was a lot of money back like millions to albert fall the man who gave him that money is set free the man who took the money is in prison, and that's where the term the fall guy comes from. Oh, yeah. very yeah. cool. I didn't know that. Albert Fall. That, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. That's very, very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. And so following that, there were also a number of other deaths. Yes, I'm sorry. I, did, I went way off the mark, didn't I? No, I'm no. Sorry. That's a, no, that's okay. The reason I'm bringing up that. Yeah. Is because I tend to feel that there is uh, on that property, on that land, a being that encourages this behavior. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Okay, well, let's talk about that. Let's get into this, the other uh, the suicides um, and murders. Mm. And, uh, and then we'll talk about a demon. Um, have you heard of Chris Fleming? No. Okay, he's, he's a psychic that's out of Chicago, but has, has had several programs. He's been on Ghost Adventures and all that stuff. So I will tell right. you about what happened when he came to Greystone. So I met him okay. and things happened then. But So you have the murder-suicide of Ned and Hugh. There's that. Mm -hmm. You had two maids that committed suicide in the mansion. One maid hung herself, and the other slit her wrists in the meat locker, which so yeah. her friends didn't have to clean up after her. It would go down the drain. And how we know, because we thought this was all ranger folklore, you know, uh, was passed right. down to us. And then Steve Clark one day was working, and a woman came up to Steve and said, is there any way I can get inside the house? And he said, no, I'm sorry, it's closed to the public. It's always closed to the public. And she said, well, okay. Well, my grandmother, um, she was best friends with the woman who slit her wrist in the meat locker. And Steve was like, oh, wow. you're kidding? That's real? And she goes, oh, honey, it's, yes, it was real. So uh, that is a true story. And the reason both these women killed themselves was because they got pregnant. And they mm -hmm. got pregnant out of wedlock by someone in the home. I'm not going to say who it is. I'll tell you off, mm -hmm. off air. In the home. Okay. 
and uh, it was the shame, tremendous shame. And so they ended up killing themselves within the home. So there were two more deaths there. A little girl that, that I call Emily had, uh, died at that location. And uh, we'll get into that later if you like or whatever, Good. but yeah. she yeah. died. Yeah. Um, so that's another death. Um, I was told by a man named Clark Fogg, who was the forensic specialist who was there for like, well, like 34 years or what have you with City of Beverly Hills. He became a, a good friend of mine. Um, he told me that, he goes, did you ever hear the story of the triangle at the house? I said, I don't know what you're talking about. He goes, there was two males and a female, an affair triangle. And it ended up with the woman being strangled to death put in a carpet and carried out the back servants. I said, I have never heard this. He goes, I have, I have at the station, I have all the, the information. That never came out in the public. And then in 2003, um, I got a call from uh, this woman, Brandy, who's a secretary at uh, Greystone. And she called me and said, where are you? And I said, I'm, I'm, I'm home today. She said, get up to Greystone. A guy just shot himself. And I went, where? By the Willow Pond. And the Willow Pond is near the firehouse, which is right next to the mansion. If you, if you go in there, Marianne, and you look up the, uh, in the book, the maps in the back, which are really great, it, you should be, I hopefully be able to see that, right. the, where the Willow Pond is. So I went up there and um, the police had tape, kept everybody away but I was able to get close enough to see this, this poor guy sat on a, uh, on a bench right by the little pond there and just took out half his head and was still sitting up, by the way, which was bizarre. And something even more bizarre than that was we have a, what's called Catskills Kids Camp up there. It's a, it's a dramatic drama camp up there. Right. A woman was driving up the hill, bringing her kid to the camp. She gets up to the top parking lot and she says to the camp counselors, um, a guy just shot himself by the pond in the head. Um, I, I'm late for work. Here's my daughter. And, and left. <laughs> if you can even believe that. Left her daughter there after a guy just blew his head off. Oh, my God. Only in Beverly Hills, Marion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is this crazy? <laughs> so um, so those, are, those are the ones that I know about. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Um, they also, I, we were also told, but I didn't, I didn't put it in the book because I, I, if it wasn't substantiated, I wasn't going to put it in the book. And that was, right. there was a murder down in the basement that was two men fighting and one stabbed or whatever and he was killed down the basement. I don't know. I didn't put it in there. I didn't, I couldn't substantiate it. Right. Yeah. So there, but so, that wouldn't surprise me in the least. Okay. Uh, there you go. So there, there's mm. quite a bit. So think about mm. all that energy inside there it's it's going to stir up and your question is was there something there prior to all this that goaded these people to into doing these things mm. i don't know mm. that's the feeling that i get okay that it encouraged this behavior mm. feared of it um, wow okay i i don't know that anybody who lived in that place was ever really happy Interesting. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I think maybe when the children were children, yeah. they, they, they don't know from that. I mean, dad died. They probably weren't told how he was killed. 
Right. So they, right. they kept playing on there's things in there. I'm sure you're reading. It's called the Greystone Historical Report and tells about what the place used to look like and what the family, yeah. like Tim, Tim Doheny is throughout the book, who was the youngest son of the family. And he's always like, wow, we used to, we used to take cardboard and go down the stairs like a, you know, like a roller coaster and everything. But when Patrick, one of the sons came back and he was during a design show and he was in the, the boys wing and I went to see him. He was in his eighties, probably mid eighties. And I knelt down next to him. I said, hi, Patrick. My name's Cleet. I work here. He's like, okay. And I said, um, what do you think of being back here like this? What is it like? Do you miss being here? No. I went, oh, okay. I could tell that he wasn't a fan just because I think of all the things he found out about the home. Right. And he said the only time he had a, it was a good time for him was, uh, you remember the um, Lindbergh baby kidnapping and murder? <clears throat> that was back then and in their time. So the family hired uh, security guards for each of the kids to follow them, to make sure they're safe. And the kids hated it. So the only way they can get away from these security guards was to go up into the attic, into these, when you go up there, it's like all these, um, uh, what you call them? They're boards that hang down like rafters that you could walk through. Oh, right. I can't even think of the name of it. But they're all throughout the roof, all throughout this 46,000 square foot home so that they can get to uh, lights or whatever to pull them up and, and clean them and fix them so without busting into walls and things. So everything right. was able to be pulled up and fixed. And um, it's a really scary place, to be honest, up there. And the kids used to go up there and hide. And then the guards were like, oh, my God, I've lost them. Where are they? So that was the best fun they, that Patrick said he had was hiding from them. So, wow. Yeah. That's, yeah, that says a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That says a lot. Yeah. And, um, you know, like kids are very resilient, but kids also feel energy. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure that at some point in their living there that they would have felt the energy of the place. Well, you know, I, one of the thoughts that I, that I keep having is, and it's what you kind of brought up, and that is, did was there energy there prior to the murder suicide because i truly believe the murder suicide may have opened a portal because there is a portal within the home and that was oh yes that was pointed out to us to me uh by uh chris fleming who is this very well-known psychic medium and then another guy named peter james who was very well known out here he's now passed and he showed up one day and he walked in and said uh, do you know you have a portal here? No. And he pointed up to this one corner. Well, 10 or 15 years later, Chris Fleming shows up and says to me, do you know you have a portal here? And I said, I've been told that. He goes right up there and he pointed the exact same spot. In the same spot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, was there a portal that opened because of these horrible situations that took place? Possibly the murder-suicide? Did that cause uh, the portal to open? Was it there prior to the mansion even being built? Was it sacred land? I don't know. Yes, yes, yes. 
my I, I'm um medium. I could feel that already. Well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and and um my intuitive gut feeling is the portal was always there and that's what the entity uses to enter and leave. Mm. Not there all the time. Okay, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Because we have the, the, the what we talked about with Steve Clark and the and the growling down in the basement. There was another incident that took place up in the attic when, when Chris Fleming was there. A lot of things took place with him. I think, like you said before, when you have someone who has the gift, they see that, and boy, do they come out. Yeah, he had a recorder, and things were coming out left and right on these recorders. I was like, wow. And he eventually said, can we go up in the attic? And we went, went up in that attic, and he went through the – the catwalks is what I was trying to think of. All these catwalks, uh, catwalks right? Okay. Yeah. So he, yeah. all these catwalks, he went through, he went there and, go, and he said to this other woman who was a psychic with him, do you feel that? Do you feel that? She goes, I do, I do. We have somebody, oh, it's gone, it's gone. And then he points across into the attic and says, what is in that door? And I said, it's just another catwalk. Can we go in there? I said, okay. And we walk over to this door open the door. He takes one step inside, stops, turns, and looks at me and says, you've got a demon here. And I never say that, but you've, you've got a demon in here. Now, I'm, I'm trying to just, you know, I, it's 11 o'clock in the day. I'm thinking I'm safe. And then he says that to me. And I'm like, okay. And in my head, you know, I'm like, if they don't see it, don't believe it. Just... <laughs> Act like he didn't say that. Right? So then I said, okay. And he takes a step inside. He turns on his recorder and starts in. And part of what he said in the recorder is, um, I know who you are. I know that you're the spirit that scares all the other good spirits in here. But guess what? You don't scare me. Are you human? You're not, are you? And then he plays it back. And after he finishes his speech, you hear, it, I can't do it because I don't want to get you in trouble here, but it's like the A word, A-hole, screams right. on his recorder. And I looked at him and he looked at me and I went, we're done. We're done. I can't do I don't want to get jumped. We're done. So I start to uh, escort them out of the, the, the attic and the woman who's with him turns on her recorder, unbeknownst to me, and says, well, then you must take Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I go, no, no, that's not good. Don't do that. Put that away. She plays it back, and then it screams the F word. Screams it. And I went, oh, that, come on. Let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. And I walked out of the house as well, said goodbye, and I stood outside the mansion going, did that actually just happen? That was along with a lot of other things that took place. And the reason I bring that up, I'm sorry, Marianne, is, no, that's cool. is that Chris Fleming said that sound up there, because I played him the sound of this other thing I call the screams and wails, which are I left mm-hmm. my recorder in one night just by chance, left it in the night in the house, and you hear a little girl with an owl and helicopters and all these other things, but you through it all you hear a little girl going <laughs> And then you hear, a scream, and this goes on for eight minutes. This, this, 
and I played it for Chris Fleming and he's just staring at me and said, I can't believe you got this. I said, I just, it was, I was, it was the luck of the draw. I put it in one night and I got that. And he said, do you know that that is what was up in the attic when we were up there? He goes, it's also what's down in the basement when Steve Clark was there. You were going to say that, weren't you? Yes. <laughs> okay. So, um, there is, I believe you're correct. I believe there is a demon. And, and he even said, he's not here all the time. He's, he comes and goes, just like you said. Yeah. Uh, I personally don't believe in demons. Uh, that's a, a, a solely religious construct. However, I do believe in interdimensional beings. Mm-hmm. And this would definitely, he, this entity is definitely an interdimensional being, and he uses that portal to come and go. Okay. Okay. Now, so let me ask you a question then. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's an apparition, is that an interdimensional being, or is that someone who's passed and? Uh, apparitions, spirits, ghosts, they're interdimensional as well, but there's many different dimensions. Okay. There, there are multiple dimensions around our reality. Okay. Okay, because they're, and, they're, and go ahead. I'm sorry. It's all about vibrational rates. And each dimension vibrates at a different rate, which is why we can't generally see spirit because the vibrational rate is higher than ours. Mm. So I'm guessing that the vibrational rate of, of Donald Trump is a lower vibrational rate? <laughs> well, let's not get okay, into I'm that. Just, just, I just had to throw that out. I can't take it. I'm, I'm in America. You're not. Okay. I, I actually interviewed James. Um, have you heard of James Fox? I actually interviewed yeah. him last week, mm-hmm. and he, he made similar comments. I had yeah, James Fox. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you had much feedback about your book? Yeah, I have, and and um, it's 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 pretty surprising to me in that I wasn't expecting people to relate to it as much as they have. Because you always think when you're in that, I'm in that one location, I'm dealing with activity every day at that location. And so you just think it's that location. And then people who have had things happen to them um, have a frame of reference. And so they're really interested. So when they buy the book, then I get people emailing me saying, you got to guess what happened to me? And I went, oh, and not not a graystone in their own lives. And I think that's what's really fascinating is it brings up other memories for people um, that that they want to share with me, which is fabulous. I love it. It's really great. And and I could see another book coming out of that, actually. Well, I I got rid of 50 stories, Marianne. Yeah, because the the editor called us and said, on your pace, it's going to be 700 pages. You can't do this. We're like 700 pages. Goes, yeah. So my brother said, you got to go back through it and you've got to find some stories that you got to take out. And so what I did was if I had stories in there where people said they, they felt this, then I took Mm -hmm. it out. If they were inside the house and they said, I was standing there and the the stories are true. But if they said, Anything about a feeling, that's how I approached it. I was standing right. up in the servant's wing, and I felt behind me like somebody was staring at me, whatever. Then I, I, I had all those interviews, but then I, then I took those out and just said, if it's a feeling, I'll take it out. So I took out 51 stories and wow. it got it down to 520 pages. Wow. <laughs> crazy. So 
of of all the experiences and in your book for for the listeners what Cleet's done is he's taken people who have had experiences in the house he took them back to the house and interviewed them at the house and the stories are the verbatim recordings that he recorded in that interview so of all the experiences in your book um, Kate, that that you covered of all the many, many, many experiences. What would be your favorite ones? Well, one of my favorites you haven't read yet. I don't want to ruin it for you. Oh, it, oh that's all right. But, but I've, I've got others I'll come up with. But there, there's okay. one that you're going to read uh, down by the stables. There were horse stables okay. back there, down by the car garages. That that will blow your mind. There, there are two that of like that, and I don't want to ruin it for you, so I'm, I'm going to pick out some other ones. Um, okay. Can we talk about Emily? Yes. Have, yes, have you gotten there yet? Have you, are you there yet in, in the book? I can't remember. The little girl? Oh, the, the little girl. Uh, I, I, she's come up a few times, hasn't she, yeah. where the guards have seen so her? So let me start, uh, and if you go, hey, wait, 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 don't, no, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> then I'll come up okay. with something else, okay? Okay. But I was inside the mansion one day, and it was a, a film shoot. And it was a scout where the director, the DP, the director of photography, uh, line producers, a, a lot of the crew are there to go through the mansion because they were going to shoot inside the mansion. So I was there watching them inside the mansion, making sure everything's cool. And one of the women breaks away from the group and comes over to me. And as she approaches me, I can tell something's happened to her because her eyes are like, she looks freaked out and I go, Oh, and I'm thinking like, I think I should just get out of here because I know something I start to turn. She goes, excuse me. I go, yeah, what is it? And she says, uh, can I talk to you for a minute? I go, yeah, yeah sure. She leans into me and said, is this place, you know? And I go, no, I don't know. I don't know. Cause I want them to tell me. I don't want to. Right. I don't want to lead them in any way. And I wasn't going to write a book then. I just was just hearing people talking to me. I said, "No, no, I don't. I don't. I don't know." She, she said, "Is it? Is it haunted?" And I said, "Why do you ask?" Which I'm glad I asked that question because I didn't. It's such a down the middle of the road question that it didn't. Mm -hmm. I didn't set her off in anything. I let her talk, and she said, "Ever since I was a little girl, I could see, hear, feel, sense." spirits and she said when i turned 15 i couldn't take it anymore i shut it down never again but when i walked in here today with the crew she said i'm standing there i look over and this little girl runs at me and says my name is emily it's emily my name is emily and she said i'm looking at her she runs right up to me the crew is not paying any attention to her and she goes oh my god they don't see her it's happening again, like when I was 15. So she said, I slowly stepped away from the crew, went around a wall that was there where she was standing and looked at this little girl. And she said, okay, your name's Emily. Don't do this to me. Please don't do this to me. Stay away from me. So she said, so my question is, is this place haunted? And I said, yes. Did a little girl die here? I said, yes. Is her name Emily? I said, we don't know. She goes, it's Emily. And oh. from that day on, mm. I've always walked in the house when I was working there. I keep thinking I'm still there. When I, I'd walk in the house, I'd say, hi, Emily, it's Cleet. 
how are you, honey? Just coming in to check the place. And I would always talk to her. And it got to a point where, now, when I started writing the book, um, I would say, um, I've got to interview Steve about all his stories. And Steve would say, well, you better talk to Mary Ann because she's gifted and she can tell you all those stories. Oh, where, who's Mary Ann? Here's her number. I call Mary Ann. Mary Ann, you talk to me and tell me all your stories. And you say, hey, but you better talk to Dan. So this right. is how it went. And it ended up 80, I think it's like 86 people, whatever it was. But I ended up getting this guy named Glenn. Glenn. And he... They said, you should talk to Glenn, man. You should talk to Glenn. I said, okay, I got a hold of Glenn. And Glenn tells me, I said, Glenn, somebody said you know a story about a little girl? And he goes, oh, man. Now, this is years later. Glenn used to work there, I think, like probably in the early 90s or something like that, maybe in the 80s. And at Greystone, we have the mansion. We have the rec recreation wing, which is tied into the mansion. And then... There's a little, what we call the East Courtyard, and then there's a firehouse. They used to have their own little fire department, in essence. They're like three right. bays where they would have mm -hmm. a cart, a horse and cart, and a, probably a, a water cylinder. And if, because remember, it's 429 acres in that property. Right. So if something happened, they just hook up the horse, let's go. So um, that now is a, a, our offices. That's where my office was. It was up above the firehouse. But back then, in, in, in Glenn's day, it was an office for the camp counselors. So right. he said he got there early morning, 8 o'clock in the morning, parked in, in the west, uh, the east courtyard, went up to his office, was getting um, um, clipboards and things for the day. And when he walked outside, he looked straight across. And if you look at the maps, Marianne, you'll see how close the firehouse is to the rec wing. And right. you're upstairs, the second floor in the firehouse, and the rec wing roof is equal to, this, to the firehouse balcony. So right. you can look straight across. He walks out and, look, and glances over, and there's a little girl standing there looking at him in a white dress. And he tells me, I'm looking at her like, first of all, how did she get up there? Secondly, what is she doing here? The park is closed. The, the parents couldn't have dropped her off because the park's closed. And third, why is she up there? Why would she climb up to the top of the roof there? So he's looking at her like, okay, well, I'm going to go talk to this girl. As he turns to go down the stairs, to go down to the, to the floor, to the, to the ground, he glances back at her. She gets up on the railings and slips off. And he down into the courtyard and he flips out. He said his heart was racing. Oh my God. Oh my God. She's, she kills it. He runs down, runs into the courtyard and he's looking for her. He can't find her and he's panicked. He thinks maybe she got hurt and she ran. So now he's running around the recreation wing. Other counselors show up. He goes, look over there. Look, look, look on, the, on that side over there behind the wall over there. And then they go up to the top parking lot. Now they're up the top parking lot looking for, they cannot find her. And suddenly he stops and goes, what the hell just happened here? What did I just see? When I'm talking to him about that situation, he starts, which a lot of people do in the book, they, they justify because it's too incredible. It's impossible. Right. So they say, well, maybe it's just, he says to me, now, I looked over, maybe it was just 
uh, maybe it wasn't a little girl. Maybe I just saw it was a light or something. I said, what was she wearing? She was in a white dress. I said, then you did see her. She's like, oh, God, God. No, no, no. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. No, I did. She was up. Yeah, she was up there. So that story is pretty incredible, right? Yeah. By itself. Yeah. But then he says, you should talk to this other woman. I call her for her stories. And I said, what stories do you have? She goes, I have a story about a little girl. I went, do you? Interesting. Why don't you tell me that story? She's up in the firehouse. She's a camp counselor. A different day. Glenn is not there. She's there. And she's inside the offices. She has the young kids, like the five-year-olds, are out on the balcony doing painting. So they all have their pieces of paper, their painted paper. She's inside getting clipboards and things. And she hears these kids scream bloody murder. And she said, I was a lifeguard. I know what that scream is. I've felt, I've dealt with that forever when I was a lifeguard. She goes, I, my heart raced. I panicked. I ran out onto the, to the balcony and I'm looking like, what, what, what? I'm looking at these kids and they're just, they're quiet now. And they're just pointing across to the roof. Isn't that like a, a, just a horrible, creepy movie? They're just yeah. pointing at the rooftop of the recreation room. And she's going like, she's t- grabbing, talk to me, look at me. What happened, honey? What happened? Tell me what happened. And then one of them finally says, she climbed on the railing and jumped off. She's like, who? This little girl in white, she fell off the roof. So then she runs down and checks in there and she's not there. That corroborated Glenn's story. Glenn's story corroborated her story. But Emily has been seen probably five times. Those two times, she was seen by other rangers inside the house looking at them and running away. So she is very active in there. She's still in there today. But when I went in, um, I talked the city into allowing me to put a camera inside the house. Now, you're not supposed to do that. And it was like a, almost like a nanny cam, right? right? Where it, you can control it, like with my iPad, I control, it can turn left, turn right, right, up and down. But it could also be uh, infrared for at night, and you can speak through it. So oh. I went to IT in the city, and I said, hey, is there any way that you could put this, uh, you know, hook me up here? I got the camera. I just need you to get on your what's called a VPN. I don't know any of this stuff. Yeah, they yeah, they yeah. told me after, you need a VPN. Okay, can we do that? And they're like, um, what is it for? I said, well, it's for inside the house. They go, we know that. But like, for what inside the house? I said, well, it's, it's to, to look at the ghosts inside the house. They go, seriously, what is it for? And I go, no, no, I just said, <clears throat> it's for the ghosts. They go, yeah, whatever, whatever, okay. And... I said, look, I'll, I'll leave you with the camera, check out the camera, and then let me know if you could do this for me. Two days later, I contact him, and the one guy says, this camera's kind of cool. He didn't, he didn't believe in ghosts. He didn't care about any of that stuff. He just says, hey, this camera's kind of cool. I'd like to set it up. I go, come on over. So without anybody knowing, we went inside the mansion. On the second floor landing, which is really haunted, I don't know if you're there in the book, that's one of the most haunted places, second floor landing. There is a pedestal in the middle of that landing that we put because there's a chandelier that hangs 
And a lot of time right. people, it's really low. People, tall people go and hit their head in the chandelier. So we put a pedestal underneath it, like you would put uh, a piece of artwork on. Right. A pedestal right. there so you'd have to go around it so you wouldn't hit your head, right? So I put the camera on that pedestal and I aimed it toward that portal that's in that corner. And I got everything set up and then I waited one night and I went in there and I said, Emily, honey, I'm going to show you, this is going to be fun for you. I'm going to give you some, some things you can play with tonight. This is going to be kind of cool. I said, look at this light. It was a mag light. I go, look at this light. See how I turn it here? I can turn it on, turn it off, turn it on, just barely turn it off. Look at that. I'm going to leave that right there and I put it in the floor. EMF meter, um, uh, the REM pod, you know, which is a, like an EMF thing. If you touch yes. it, beep. I place these things out and then I talk to her. I said, honey, I'm going to go, but I'm going to leave these for you. And I'm talking to her like she's right in front of me because she is. So I said, I'm going to mm -hmm. leave these for you. You play with them and I'll come get them tomorrow. I just want you to have a good night. Okay. And I'll talk to you tomorrow. Went, turned the alarm on, got out of the house, went home. So now I'm in my place in Santa Monica and I turn on my iPad and I'm like, come on. And I'm seeing that flashlight go on and off. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. So I get on the microphone and I say, now when I speak from Santa Monica, there's a delay. So if I say, Emily, Emily, there's a delay in the house. So I get on the mic and I go, Emily, Emily, turn it on one more time, please. Turn it on one more time, please. Boom, the light comes on. And I'm like, wow. I said, okay, okay. Um, could you turn that off for me, please? And it starts to flicker. I go, keep, keep turning, gotta keep turning it. Turn, keep, perfect, perfect. Honey, how old are you? Are you eight, nine, 10, 11? Light comes on. We thought she was 11 or 12. I said, okay, great, thank you. Can you turn that off for me? You have to, perfect, thank you. I had like, I think it's between, right around six minutes of a conversation uh -huh. with her, asking her question, do you have friends at the house? Um, do, you, do you like cleat? <laughs> <laughs> light didn't come on by the way do you like skiing <laughs> light comes on and I went oh, how dare you he haunts me um so it was incredible and I'm not in that house she's hearing me and she's responding to a, a voice that's coming out of a box imagine her if she's she was let's say 11 years old 1929 or what have you 30. Yeah. she's going like how is that even possible with this little box thing and um it was an incredible, incredible night. So my point is, after all that, is she is still here. She's in the house um, that she has been seen and um, has responded to several people on, on, on and the investigations that have been done in the house have been done by myself and some other people. Um, Steve Clark, there was a guy named Rob Ladarsky, who is somebody you should interview, Marianne. I'm going to give you his information. I'll, give, I'll, oh, I'll, I'll send it to you. This guy's done so many, Queen Mary, he does everything. He's been doing it for probably 50 years. And he became a friend 
He's the one who told Steve Clark down by the basement, verify. If you hear something, don't yeah, automatically right. think. He's the guy, right? right. So, okay. um, but Rob, I've done probably four investigations with him over 22 years in the house. And he has the gift. He can feel things and stuff as well. And some things, I was actually downstairs one time and the group had gone upstairs. I was checking out something else by myself downstairs and I hear them all screaming. And I go, what, what? And I run upstairs and by the time they get there going, oh my God, I guess ectoplasm was forming on the oh. second floor. It started to form and they all were looking, look at that, look at that. And I was going like, what? Of course I missed it. So um, he, he is a good one to, to talk to, but uh, we don't open the house for investigations. It was the only reason I did it was because I had access to the house. Right. And that's why a lot of people in the book are rangers because they're right. the ones who have access to the house. Of course. Right? Of course. Yeah. And, and, and talking about investigations, mm-hmm. um, let me just get myself can't. Uh, but you sent me a number of sound clips that, that you've recorded mm-hmm. or people have recorded in the house. Yeah. And some of them are really, some of them are very, very, very clear. Mm-hmm. The ones that I, so what I'll do is I'll actually play each recording a couple of times. Great. Cool. So mm-hmm. People can hear them, well, except for the really obvious ones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Let's let's play some of the sound clips now. Now, the first one that you've got here, uh, you've called National Treasure Book of Secrets, and it's uh, a number of sounds. How did you rec- How did that one come about? Well, there's a man named Peter Devlin, and he's an Academy Award uh, nominated sound mixer. Uh, he did National Treasure too, Book of Secrets. Um, he oh, is that what that's from? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And he also uh, recorded, uh, he was the sound mixer on, uh, what was it? Um, oh, it was uh, Wonder Woman and, and, and a okay. lot of big movies. And so on National Treasure, he was there. Everybody was a big, a big crew. And so they finished the night. Peter put his sound cart, which has the, the microphone on it and the recorder and all that stuff. He covered it. And he just put it in the corner. Well, he put it in the corner, right, right in the portal. He had no idea, but he pushed it right into the portal. After all this was said and done, I went, oh, my God, he placed it in the portal. Um, and he put it on. He had the recorder run all night. And he said he just wanted to hear what he would get in the house. He wasn't thinking paranormal. He was thinking like creaking sounds and all that stuff. Right. An old mansion maybe he could use somewhere down the line. And he got it there in the morning. I opened up opened up, uh, all the cast crew come in, they get their, their cases, their camera equipment, their whatever they have, and they start moving around and setting up. And Peter took his cart, moved it into uh, what was called, is called the, mas- uh, the sitting room, the master sitting room, and which we call Mr. Doheny's room. And he set up the cart. So I just walked around and I waited a minute and finally walked into that room and I look over him. I didn't know Peter at the time, but I looked over, I see him in his cart and I see him with his headphones on and then I see him take his headphones off like, and he gives it, it gives a look like, what the hell was that? And I go, oh, something happened. So I start to get out of the room and goes, hey, and I went, yeah, what's up? And he said, did you have security here last night? And I said, yeah. 
He goes, so you have security outside? I said, yeah, outside. What about, did you have the alarm on? I said, yes, we did. What, what is the problem? He goes, I'll show you. Come here. I go over there. He goes, here. He puts his headphones on me. And at 12.58 at night, this is what you hear. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And that's from a professional audiologist. Yeah. Yeah. And, and now that you've played it for everyone, um, I can comment on it and let you know what I feel it is. Okay. okay? So what it sounds like, it's hard to hear the, the clip that you have. It's hard to hear footsteps, but there are footsteps, but it's really, you have to really listen to it. And I don't think you can really hear it on that clip, but footsteps, come in to the closer to the to the recorder and then you'll hear what's called layout board which is a four by eight sheet of cardboard that's placed down to protect the floors right Ah. and that's picked up and thrown and you'll hear it sliding and then it hits a wall and then after that it sounds like camera equipment being shoved over and it goes bam, bam, bam. That's what that's what you're hearing in that sound. I wondered what it was. Mm-hmm. Oh wow. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, I'm not going to use your spirit box ones because they might be a bit difficult for some to hear That's fine. because of the static. Yep. However, now this next recording is what I would call a residual okay. sound. And we're talking about the gunshot. Uh-huh. Yeah. So did you leave your recorder running all night to capture this? Yeah. So... There are two, I gave you two recordings. One's a louder gunshot than the other. And the reason I gave you that is to show you that it's not the same thing. And right. it was done, recorded probably years apart, by the way. So it's not like it was recorded one night, then the exact next night, same thing. It was either months or a year or two apart. And I put my recorder in there. It was probably on the second floor landing, which I always mostly used to leave my recorder up there. And, um, it was just luck of the draw again. I left it there. And when I heard that, it, and it was probably 12 or one at night is when I caught that. Um, it is so clear and there is an echo to it, Marianne, which, mm. which I thought was fascinating because there is, there's no furniture, anything within this 46,000 square foot home. So it's echoey. You talk in right. one room, you can almost sounds like it's you're in the next room and it's out in the living room. It's vacant in there. And this sound of the gunshots have an echo to them, which fascinated me.
very, very clear. Those gunshots are really clear. No mistake yep. in them. Mm -hmm. No mistake in them. Not like a car back. I, I had a guy that showed up and I played it for him and he was a gun expert. He just happened to be, he was out by the, where, I, where my other office was. And he says, this place haunted. We went through all that stuff. And then I said, okay, here, if you don't think so, let me play this for you. you tell me what this is. And this guy went, well, I'm a firearms expert. That's a gun. I went, okay, I just wanted, I'm, I'm thrilled that you're a firearms expert. And that just solidifies my thoughts about that, those recordings. Brilliant. That's brilliant to get that feedback. Mm -hmm. Now we've got three more EVP. The, this next one is very clear and it's very quick, comes in very early. And this one was recorded in the kitchen. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and it does. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go, no, go ahead. You can set the scene up if you okay. want. Okay. <laughs> so, I, I'm, I'm in the house with my friend Steve, Ranger Steve, and another guy who worked at that time for the city named Tim and his brother Matt. Matt had never been inside the house. He's from San Diego. And Tim said, Could you please take him to the house one night? And I said, Okay, we'll do that. This was the night. We brought him inside and we set up a card table in the grand hall. We had some, bottle, uh, some glasses of scotch, and we had some cigars, because that's what Ned liked. And we set it all up, and we just sat there. And we started having these, just chatting and talking. Didn't hear anything. Nothing happened on the recorders either. So finally, it was right around midnight, and I said, look, you know, I don't want to be here all night. I've done that. Let's, let's get up. Let's show uh, Matt the house. So we started walking. As we're walking toward the kitchen, the, the historic kitchen, we call it. Um, I'm talking to Tim, fellow worker, about the equipment that I have, like a laser pointer that has all the little dots you can see in case something, a shadow goes in front of it. And so I'm just chatting with him about that. Steve's walking with us, with Matt. We enter the kitchen and we immediately hear, now I didn't, Steve didn't, Matt, uh, uh, um, Tim didn't, Matt was the only one who heard it, and you'll hear him comment on that, and you'll hear what, what, what the voice says. So what you want to do, Steve? Well, I gotta tell you, man, I felt like there was some wind or air coming through the kitchen, cold air. What was that noise just now? You feel like a hello? Was that you? No. What's it gonna be on the recorder? Like it's gonna be more there. Is there anybody here with us? So what you want to do, Steve? I gotta tell you, man. So what you wanna do, Stephen? Well, I gotta tell you, man. So what you wanna do, Stephen? Well, I gotta tell you, man. I felt like there was some wind or air coming through the kitchen. Cold air. What was that noise just now? You feel like a hello? Was that you? No. What's it gonna be on the recorder? Like it's gonna be more there. Is there anybody here with us? And that's really clear. He comes in. It's a very quick hello. Yep. And and you can hear him. Did you guys hear yeah. that? Or what? And I didn't yeah. hear it. And I said, well, I tell you what, if there was a voice, I didn't hear it. I, I, I probably recorded it, which I did. Plus, just like with, with the gunshots, there's an echo to that voice, right? You, you've heard it. There's an mm -hmm. echo to that voice. Hello? And hello? Hello? There's like an echo to yeah. it. And that kitchen is so echoey. It's a, you know, uh, like cement kind of walls that are painted and everything but it really echoes inside there and so that would make sense 
Yeah, absolutely. And that, for my listeners, is not an EVP, an electronic voice phenomena. That is a disembodied voice. When it's heard audibly, it's disembodied. Mm. When it's only captured on the on the recorder, it's an EVP. Okay. Now, this next one is a bit fainter, mm-hmm. and I'll try to I'll actually try to enhance that a little bit so it's a bit clear. So what I'll do is I'll play the original one that you sent us, Cleet, mm-hmm. and then I'll play an enhanced one where I've tried to bring the Great. the voice out a little bit more. Yeah. So this was recorded with Ray, Ranger Chan. Chan, yeah, up in the attic, yeah. right? right? Yeah. So um, Chan, Chan has had things happen to him which were not cool, and he's he's afraid of the place. He has an uncle, I think, who has the gift and tells him, if you have to go in that house, you get in and then you get out immediately because the uncle knows mm. the place is active. Mm. Chan had some things happen to him, a, 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 a framed picture in glass flew off a cabinet and crashed right in front of him. You'll read about it in there and scared him so much and he was up in the top parking lot shaking called me i was just showing up for work and he, I, i'll never go back in there again i said well calm down calm down just tell me what happened i said i'll go back in and i went in and did my investigation with my cell phone recording and i and i just recorded things that later on he looked at me, he goes no 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 i did not close that door i ran out of that room i didn't close the door was it closed when you showed up i will look at the video when I showed up, it was closed. So a lot of things didn't make sense to him. But uh, he feels things. Mm. And he was the one who saw Emily, by the way. He looked in the front door, and there she was. And he was like, how did that little girl get in the house? So Chan has had things happen to him. This right. time, um, I brought him up to the attic <laughs> um, because I told him that We've had things happen up in the attic. Uh, I was interviewing him for the book, and he said, I have to tell you that you never told me anything that happened up in the attic. I said, no, I never did. He goes, well, he used to have to go up in the attic for Steve Clark. Steve Clark would be at the grand entry. When you first walk in the grand entry, there's a huge chandelier that hangs all the way down. It's like two stories down. And the only way to clean it is to go up in the attic you, you take off this cover and there's a hand crank and you, you crank this chandelier down so you can change the bulbs and clean the glass. So Steve Clark said, you got to go up and you have to go up there and crank that down there. You'll see it. There's a, there's a, in the, in the floor there, take that lid off and crank it down and I'll change the bulbs. And he goes, okay, Steve, he had no idea that the attic is active. Right. So Chan goes up there. He said, Cleta, as I'm starting to crank it down, I take the lid off, I start to crank it down, I'm feeling something weird to my left. And I said, okay. He said, so as I'm cranking down, I stop, and I look to the left, and, and what he tells me is he's looking at a door, and that's the door where I went in with Chris Fleming, and, oh, and it right. screamed, a-hole, that thing, right? So And, and so I said, well, do you know that that's where that happened with me, Chris Fleming? I tell him, he goes, oh my God, you, I'm so glad you didn't tell me when I was up here. 
He said, but I, in cranking it and feeling it to my left, I turned my whole body so I faced toward that door and kept cranking because I did, I knew something was there. I said, right. okay. Now, as he's telling me this story for my book, to, for the interview, a voice comes in. Now, we, we didn't hear it. We both didn't hear it. Um, and this voice comes in and has some direction for us. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if you want to say it or if they just want to play it. It's up to you. I'll just play it okay. and they can listen to it. So this is the unedited version. Mm -hmm. It's very faint, so you need to listen quite carefully. When the panel put the... When the panel put the... When the panel put the... And this is the enhanced version. Open the panel, put the Open the panel, put the Open the panel, put the So this last recording was it's kind of kind of an emotional one actually. Can you tell us a little about this last one? Yeah. So let me set you up with this and, and one of the things is when I put the word out that I wanted to, to talk to people about any uh, incidences that they had in the house, um, I, I got a lot of people through friends said, oh, I got their number, I got their number. One of the people was this woman named Luz, L-U-Z, Luz Rodriguez. And she was a ranger, I think for four years up at Greystone, uh, like 94 to 98, something like that, 1994, and. So I talked to her and said, did you have things happen? She goes, oh, my God. I said, really? She said, yeah. I said, okay, could, could you meet me up at Greystone one day and, and we can talk about it? She said, yeah. Set up a day. We, we went up there that day. She remembered 18 different stories that all were awesome stories, crazy stories that happened to her because she has the gift. Right. And so – as you have mentioned before, when you have that, they want to connect with you. They're constantly mm -hmm. trying to connect with you. They did that a lot with her, and they did it on my tour with her during the interview. So actually, excuse me, it happened twice. Um, so what you're going to hear is I'm walking with Luz. We're in the servant's wing, walking to the room where uh, the woman hung herself. That happens to be the ranger's break room now, oddly enough. Right. <laughs> Why? I don't know. So uh, we're walking toward that room, and she's starting to get emotional. Now, I look to my left to see her, and I see that she's almost wiping tears, and I'm going like, I'm just going to let her go. She's going through something here with this. Let's see where this takes us. So I'm walking through up with her, and she's talking to me. And as we go up these, there are like three steps that lead to the break room. She starts to explain that she's getting emotional. And I think that's what you're going to hear. And, but then somebody interrupts while we're talking, while she's talking to me, but, but we didn't hear this voice. So that's what you'll hear. Right. Yeah. If I get teary-eyed, mm -hmm. it's just the energy. Mm -hmm. If I get teary-eyed, mm -hmm. it's just the energy. Mm -hmm. If I get teary-eyed, mm -hmm. don't. It's just the energy. Mm -hmm. If I get teary-eyed, mm -hmm. it's just the energy. Mm -hmm. And that 
female voice is actually quite tender and quite compassionate. Mm -hmm. It feels to me like she's trying to comfort comfort her yeah and and telling her not to get emotional don't yeah don't don't, don't. Mm. and what you don't and, and, i'm sorry go ahead yeah go ahead no, what, go what ahead. you don't hear marianne is i don't think it's in that clip because that's that was the main thing that you could that you could understand right so she's talking and she says i'm pardon me if i get emotional don't but i mm. such as she continues on when she takes a pause later on but you don't have that same voice comes back in and says loud and clear, just like the don't. Um, it's words I can't understand. I don't know if it's another language or right. if it's a confused, it came out confusing for her, but it's like, in this is Housebrook. In this has Housebrook. And when I played that back, and went, wait, 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 who, who was there with us? Wait a minute. Some woman is said, Ennis Housebrook. I don't know what that means. Now, I will say that there were a lot of the servants were from Europe. Yeah, this I was going to say. Sweet, is it German or? Swedish? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wasn't Irish, Scottish, but could have been maybe Irish, Ennis House. I, I don't know. But maybe what I should do is send it to you. And then you can maybe put it out there for your listeners and see if somebody goes, oh, I know what that is. That's a good idea. Yeah. You want to do that? Idea. Yeah. I'll yeah. get that to you. So I start having trouble breathing, mm -hmm. but it's in the house. It's just the energy. Okay. So I start having trouble breathing, mm -hmm. but it's in the house. It's just the energy. Okay. So I start having trouble breathing, mm -hmm. but it's in the house. It's just the energy. Okay. So if any of you listeners know what this voice is actually saying, can you let us know? And I'll pass that information on to Clay. Awesome. awesome. Brilliant. So, Clay, it's obvious there's no two ways about it that that Greystone Mansion is haunted. <laughs> no two ways about it. <laughs> there's just so many accounts. And how do you feel now that you're out of the, out of the house? Well, I'm kind of sad. I mean, it was very emotional for me to leave. I, I hadn't amazing. planned on leaving. Um, mm. COVID came along, shut everything down, which put us into a whole different world of you're on your computer and yes. this event will now be done through a virtual thing. I'm just like, oh, this is not my thing, man. Um, yeah. And so then they said, we're going to give handshakes and buyouts to people that are eligible that would like to leave. And I'm like, well, if I'm ever going to leave, I guess it'd be now because then I'll get an extra couple of bucks, whatever it's going to be. Right. And I checked into it and they said, you are eligible. I went, am I really going to leave this place? It, a third of my life is spent in this location yeah. and I love this house even though it's scarier yeah. than hell I love this place so I said okay and my I uh, one of my best friends is, is, is a ranger a senior ranger there named Dan Hernandez and it was hard to leave him because he and I were every day we'd get there at five in the morning 
go over what's going to come up that day, talk about the Lakers, basketball, get into all that stuff, and then we'd start our day. That right. was for, you know, how many years? So yeah, it was hard to leave. And then the very last day, my friends did a really sweet thing. They all came up in their cars because I'm on the hill where you drive into Greystone. Right. I would keep people out because it's COVID. Keep the cars out. The people were doing construction on on the house. They can come in. Police can come in. I had to organize all that. And at the very end of my day, I'm looking like, what is going on here? And all these cars caravaned up with signs saying, you know, good luck and huge cutouts of my head, which is not a, a good looking head <laughs> in their cars. Everybody had one of my heads holding out, waving. Aww. It was really, really emotional. And it was really beautiful. And I love that place. It was very, very difficult to leave. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah I can imagine after investing so much of your time mm-hmm. and your energy in it. So, Cleet, where can people get your book from, The Ghosts of Greystone? Well, what they can do is, what I'd appreciate them to do is to get it from our website because it's just like Amazon. So if you go to ghostofgreystone.com, go there and you can purchase the book. I'll sign it. I'll even inscribe it however you would like it to be signed or I'll put a little little comment in there that might be fun for you along with some other little goodies we give you like a bookmarker and some really kind of cool things that have have to do with Greystone itself. The other thing is um, you can also go to Amazon. Amazon has it there. Uh, and they also have the ebook, which you can get the ebook as well. And then we're finishing up literally, I think this coming up week, we're finishing up the audiobook. And then that will take awesome. probably a month to get on uh, to Amazon and you can get that from there as well. Oh, that'll be awesome. Now, are you on any social media? Uh, Instagram and uh, Facebook, ghostofgreystone.com. Your, your Instagram labels, Ghost yeah, of Greystone? Yeah, yeah, Cool. Okay, cool. thanks for asking. So, there, yeah, so thank you so much, Kate. This has been an absolutely interesting conversation, and I'm really thrilled that, that you agreed to talk to my listeners and I. Absolutely. And I encourage everybody to go out and get the book for yourself. It's a great read. (laughs) Thank you so much. It was so great meeting you. Listening to experiences like these we've heard over this episode can spark questions for some, and for others it's simply entertainment. Whatever you choose to take from this episode, at the very least, these experiences will have gotten you thinking and perhaps questioning what we understand to currently be our reality. That's not a bad thing at all. It's always a good thing to question and to see where these questions lead you in search for your truth, whatever that may be. I never get tired of hearing stories like the ones Cleek kindly shared with us this episode. I find them endlessly fascinating, sometimes touching and sad, sometimes with curiosity and an increased desire to learn more. I know you, my listeners, enjoy these episodes as well. Thank you so much, Cleet, for your time and expertise you shared with us. I appreciate it immensely and I so enjoyed our conversation. 
just a couple of reminders. One, this is the last episode in this season and I'll be taking a break for a period of four weeks from the digital world at least as far as posting new episodes. I may, however, do a season's roundup so you have at least something to listen to between seasons. Of course, you can always go back and listen to your old favourite episode from any of the six seasons. Still debating that one though. Let me know if you'd like to hear a, a roundup. You can contact me via the podcast website www.walkingtheshadowlands.com or you can email me at shadowlands at yahoo.com or if you are on anchor.fm you can leave me a voice message using the app. Two. Another reminder that most of the episodes in this series and the first few next season were recorded before Christmas. This was because of family issues that I didn't want disrupting the podcast. I do generally try to have three episodes in advance pre-recorded in case of illness or unexpected disruptions. So I worked very hard to get these done. Then what I do is... I record the intro and exit portions of the show separately afterwards as I edit each interview. That's why in a lot of these episodes there's a discrepancy in the quality of the sounds of the interviews and intros. When the interviews were being recorded, my old Mac was literally dying on me and the sound quality was a wee bit, let's say, not up to par. Hopefully you can tell the difference with the new machine. Today's bumper music is called Creepy Lullaby by Raphael Crux. I sort of felt it belonged with the Haunted Mansion and it's definitely mood-inducing. As always, I can't end the show without thanking my patrons for their ongoing support of this podcast. If you want to become a patron of the show, then head over to patreon.com forward slash mcc15 and sign up now. The continued support of my patrons makes it possible for me to financially cover part of the costs of producing this show for you all. So thank you all so much. If you have any suggestions for topics you might like me to cover in upcoming episodes, then please don't hesitate to contact me. Or if any of you have any questions, suggestions or any comments that you'd like to make or experiences that you might like to share with myself or my audience, or if you feel you might be a good fit as a guest on my podcast, then just email me at shadowlands at yahoo.com or check out the Be A Guest page on the podcast website. Check out our Facebook page, Walking the Shadowlands, our Instagram feed of the same name, and our Twitter feed, at Shadowlands10. We're also on TikTok now, as well, under Walking the Shadowlands. Like and follow for hints on our upcoming episodes. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a positive rating, and don't be shy to leave a written review on your chosen podcasting platform or on the podcast Facebook page, Walking the Shadowlands. And of course, so you don't miss out on any episode, make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform. This podcast is available on all free podcasting platforms and iHeartRadio as well. 
Also, if you have Alexa, simply say these four words, open Walk in the Shadowlands, and Alexa will play our latest episode for you. If you don't have a smartphone, then you can listen to the episodes from the podcast website, www.walkingtheshadowlands.com. For those hearing impaired, there's a full written transcript of each episode on the website so you don't miss out at all. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your workmates about our show. Encourage them to listen and to subscribe also. The more, the merrier. Thank you so much for listening. Today, tonight, whatever time it is, wherever you're living in this beautiful world of ours, I'll see you after the season's break. See you then. Thanks for listening. 